Hey, I want to encourage you, and if you're watching online, welcome. Welcome from Salt Lake City, from California, from Westlake Hills. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, we want to fire open maybe your app. Um, there's some notes that are included. You can jot some notes. We started this journey going through um, Genesis 37 through chapter 50. Tonight we're going to land in Genesis 47. But let me just start out by saying this. Do you ever have people come to you and describe situations uh, or, or things that they did and you're like, gosh, I'm glad you didn't include me in that. <laughs> I don't feel like I missed out at all. I mean, there are certain things that people talk about and I was just like, I, I'd rather have a root canal. Thank you. Uh, and so people were like, oh, yeah, we play board games. I'm like, thank you for not inviting me. I don't feel like I missed out at all. Or, or like when people are like, oh, we watched like a suspense or like a horror mill movie. I'm like, yep, nope. Uh, it's not entertaining to be scared and to be like in this dark place. That does not work for me. And so there's all these things that I'm just like, yeah, no. One of those things that if you say, and I have to say this, qualify this, is that as a dad, I'm willing to go along with it. But particularly the way my son's mind has worked, there are things like the escape room, panic room, and the like, that I, well, I, I hate. I, I, they're just lame. I, I just don't like them. But the way my son's mind as a problem solver and as an engineer is wired He's really good at these things, and he finds other people that he finds fellowship doing these things. But to me, the idea of having a riddle, which anytime someone goes, I've got a riddle for you, I'm like, I'm done here. There's some kind of riddle, and then there's like these clues you've got to find out, and then they put this arbitrary stop clock watch, and you've got to do it in a hurry that creates this unnecessary stress and anxiety. I'm like, done. Don't even get started. I'm out. And let me expand on some of this disdain because I had an escape experience that might, well, it became a real life ex escape room experience. Okay, so last week we had this makeup trip. We had all these big family events like a 25 year wedding anniversary and a graduation from masters and high school. And so we took some money that we got from the government and spent it on this vacation, and it was wonderful. We went to Isla Mujeres, Mexico. It's right off the coast of Cancun. You take a little ferry over there, it was wonderful. Had a great time. Have you ever come back from a trip and the, the, the trip back took so much out of you, it like burned three days of relaxation? That's one of these times. So it's hot, we're leaving, you have to go down, catch the ferry. And then once you catch the ferry, you come out of the ferry and I know you know this, Jason, because he's the one that told me about this. He warned me. When you walk out the gates, whether it be the, 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 so the, the airport or the shuttle sir, or the ferry service, there's all these people that got their hand in their pocket, in your pocket, and they want to help you. And they're like, taxi, taxi, taxi. And you're, it, it's so overstimulating and overwhelming. And you're carrying your luggage and you don't speak Spanish. Anyway, I'm looking for our shuttle service. He's late. We get it. We get to the airport, and then we walk in, we do the check-in thing, and then we wait in a line. Well, we're there like two hours early. We were A students. But an hour and a half in line, we're still not quite close to the front. We've still got another line to go in the queue. And some guy comes to us and goes, are you on the Austin flight? We're like, yeah. He's like, well, we better get you to the front because we were two hours early. 
and it's been an hour and a half. I'm like, thank you. So we moved to the front of the line, and it's still another 15 minutes. And we're like, all right, this is... <clears throat> and the lady in front of us... Anyway, I won't even go into her story. But we finally like, okay, we got to go. We got to get to the gate. So we take off for the gate. And as we're charging up to the gate, you know, where it like kind of starts to funnel in, and then you have to go through the next security checkpoint, it's this bottleneck. And it's a bottleneck with ugly faces. Like, you've heard of an ugly crier. There's a lot of people who, like, they pout, and it's like, okay. You could feel the, like, you could feel the complaint rising. You could feel the anger starting to boil. And, and so we just kind of, like, keep going through, because I'm, I'm like, we just got to, like, I'm looking at my clock, and I'm going, we got to get there. And there's these two very petite Mexican women who are standing there with COVID forms. I'm like, you're kidding me. Like, we would, and so all the mob, and it was a mob. I mean, there was about a revolution. Viva la revolucion. Like, it was getting on. And, and I didn't want to be a part of it, but I was starting to get frustrated, too. And I'm thinking, why didn't, we just had an hour and a half in that line. This would have been really helpful back then. Um, but no, they're doing it here. So, okay, now I... And then you're trying to talk to this lady, okay, we need four, and she gives you one. Or like, okay, need four. She gives, like, okay, now he needs one, she needs, like, just give me the form. And so we get through, and we, we don't, like, everyone's stopping to fill it out. We grab the form and just keep going in line and filling it out as we go. This is why I'm so glad that the rest of my family loves the escape room. They're picking up the clues, they're doing this stuff, and dad's just like, serenity now, serenity now. Like, just don't lose it. So we get up and we have to show our passports again um, and we get through the line so I beeline, I'm the first one and I get over, as I reach over to get the buckets, computers shoes, I reach over the buckets there's a lady standing and like she jumped the line, like come on now, come on now, I'm going to poke your eye out, what are you doing what are you, do- what are you doing, what are you doing we just waited on the same stuff you did and runs, no, buddy, it's good, it's good, it's no problems here. I was like, there's a problem here. She, she just cut. She's like, no, I was just getting the buckets for her. I was like, mm-hmm. And I was too, and like, and then I feel this. And it was my son reaching on my shoulder, let it go. It's okay. I was like, yes, I can do that. <laughs> but I kept staring. I was going to give some like snake eye, right? Like, I see you. The Lord knows your heart. I was not going to break eye contact, but they were not going to make eye contact. And then we finally get through the land. But the guy who just cut, he had to go through like three times because he kept beeping. I was like, see? Yeah, jerk. Uh, I mean, there was just not a lot of Christianity oozing out of me. But then I find the largest duty-free shop that I am convinced was designed by Ikea. Now, if you've ever been to Ikea, which as a Scandinavian, I'm going to just tip you off to something. The Swedish word for hell... It's Ikea. True story. Just kidding. That's actually true. Everything else I've said is true. And so you wind around. There's not like a direct line. And we're like minutes to boarding. (sighs) And so I'm running out ahead. The family is not running. I'm in sprint mode. They're not running. And so I'm going to gate 17. And I'm like, why aren't they here? And I'm looking through like the aisles of Ikea duty-free shop. And they come around, and Laurel's like, nope, just text me. We've got a different gate. Oh, awesome. A little further out the runway. So we go like, and we get out there, and we made our flight. You get on the flight, and you're just like, 
steaming mad. Like, all the emotions that are now, like, like on the surface, it's come to a boil at this point. Like, that was so freaking unnecessary. It didn't have to be that way. And guess what? No one collected the COVID form. <laughs> Curse you, Mexican government! And wherever the virus came from, I'm done with it. I'm over this. So where are we tonight? See, my point is this. In moments like these, I think it's so easy for all of us to lose the plot. If you are a Christian and Christ has come into your heart, there is, by definition, a new identity. And part of the new identity of who I am now in Christ means that I am in the lifelong process of adopting a new kind of kingdom of God metric and a new kind of motivation for who I am and how I live my life. I believe God is in the process of transforming me. I believe in days past, there would have been a different reaction. I believe in different circumstances without the supportive community and a, and a helpful hand on my shoulder. I could have come more unglued. I wanted to poke people's eyes out. I wanted to scream. I wanted to melt down. But there is something in that moment that you want to live by the plot. And the plot is this, God's salvation and the reality of God's presence. We have all felt this abundance and this beauty and this provision of God in our lives. And just because we go through an airport with nonsense and, 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 and sort of this COVID fatigue doesn't mean God's not in it. And so I'm being reminded of who I am. And once I'm reminded of my new identity in Christ, I start to realize God's here, he sees, and I know it. That, for me, becomes a transformational moment. Because left up to my own human devices, I want to be someone else, not necessarily who God's invited me to be. And this is the process that we find ourselves in, in growing in Christ, as we learn to see that my life is not my own. I'm now in Christ. And as long as I'm in Christ, whether it be beauty or whether it be struggle, whether it be sitting with days of relaxation and joy on a beach, or going through this escape room, a literal real live escape scenario trying to get out of this country in a timely fashion with real stress, not like manufactured anxiety. God's in it. God's in both. You're not alone. So don't forget who you are. And this is where we pick up the plot. At least in the story of Joseph. Joseph has had this amazing encounter where Joseph started was a dream and a promise where he would be elevated. Now, I don't know about you, but there is this kind of life of blessing that I feel like God has promised. That when Christ comes into your life, there's going to be a level of peace. There's going to be a level of provision. There's going to be all of these things. But it does, and I believe they're true, but it does not mean that it won't experience all the other bad stuff as well and in the middle of it. And so Joseph gets sold into slavery. Joseph 
ascends to the commander-of-chief of Pharaoh's army, and he's now the number one guy in his house, only to be falsely accused of sexual assault and end up in jail. And once he's in jail, he's got this crazy gift of interpreting dreams, and he interprets the dream of the cupbearer to the king, the, ta- the taste tester of the king. And he's like, hey, buddy, I'm going to tell you what your dream meant. And, and oh, by the way, don't forget me. They forgot that I'm down here in the dungeon. And then he goes and he forgets them. And like a year passes. And the Pharaoh has a dream. And don't you know it? The cupbearer reminds him, like, well, I know a guy that I did time with. Up, you know, and he's like, up in Shawshank. You know, I know a guy. He can interpret your dreams. And so he comes out and he interprets the dream. And wouldn't you know it, God, like, it's like two steps forward and one step back. And that's how my Christian life feels. I'm like, I just had an amazing week on the beach. Like, world-class beach. Super fun experience. And then all of a sudden, I'm thrown into this turmoil, like, this was quite unnecessary. I could have done without this day. So, this is what I want to look at in his life. Look at how Joseph endured these both tremendous successes and setbacks. So where we find ourselves is Joseph's family, his whole family, not just his brothers, his brother's families. He's got 11 other brothers. And so this is like a herd of people. This is like a whole village of people. This isn't just like, oh, we all loaded up in the minivan and went. No, this is like a bunch of people because they all got multiple wives and they got a ton of kids and all of a sudden they're showing up. And Joseph begins to say, hey, here's the thing. They don't really like us here in Egypt, but I'm going to go ahead and advocate for you, Dad. I'm going to introduce you to you, and he's going to say, where are you from? And all, or, you know, kind of what's your business here? And all you have to do is say, hmm, me and my people, we are shepherds. And the Egyptians despise shepherds. This is where you play prejudice and bias to your advantage. He'll let you stay. He won't even think of it. So he goes to the Pharaoh and he says to him, he's like, oh, don't mind us. This is Jacob, the dad. He's like, hey, we're just shepherd people. And they're like, oh, you're not a threat. You're not going to like undermine or overthrow me. Sure. And Joseph, because he's come into such esteem, such power, he gives his whole family, the same family that betrayed him, sold him into slavery, he gives his whole family this choice land to resettle. Like, you talk about a 180. He's not still licking his wounds over, like, unforgiveness. He's like, no, we're together. You're part of me. I'm like, okay, so this is a really wonderful lesson in, in forgiveness. But then the famine comes. This famine that he had predicted would come because when Pharaoh had a dream that he predicted... He goes, tell me what the dream means. He goes, well, good news, bad news. There's going to be seven years of, like, huge prosperity. It's going to be fruit on the vine, if you know what I'm talking about. And then it's going to be, like, seven years of profound scarcity of which the world has never seen. He's like, really? That's what that means? So he put him in charge of preparing for that famine. And that's where we pick up the second half of the story. Let's start just in the first half, and, and we'll see in verse 11. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, uh, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. See, let me just talk to you about losing the plot because I'm being reminded of this constantly and daily. 
we lose the plot of God's salvation when we choose the path of resentment, unforgiveness, and picking up offenses. If you want to lose the plot of your salvation, your identity in Christ, go ahead and hold on to those grudges. Because what we're doing is we're essentially forgive, or forgetting the notion that we needed that from God. But here's where it makes us most vulnerable. When you choose to hold on to resentment and unforgiveness, you are much more likely and vulnerable to pick up offenses along the way. For things that were never intended to be offenses, but you just don't have the bandwidth to give people the benefit of the doubt or simply to be gracious. Have you ever been like worn out and you're like some other version of you came out that was ugly and impatient or normally you'd kind of be a little more gracious and be like, yeah. There is stuff that we hold on to thinking that we can't let it go because we can't let them get away with whatever they did. And what I'm saying is we become prisoners and we lose the plot of God's presence and God's salvation, God's freeing work when we choose to keep those things front and center. And so uh, I think circumstances are really powerful ways that impact us who we are. And obviously tragedy, loss, all those kinds of things leave scars, betrayal, but they affect our ability to actually care for others. Now, here's what happens. So he chooses the path of grace and restoration of the relationship. And then he goes and not just forgives. This is how you know you forgive. He advocates on behalf of his relative. Only God in me can do that. Humanly, I cannot do that. I confess. I, I'm a record keeper. I, I, can't, I can't not remember that. But he comes full circle. And he not only forgives, he advocates. Then the rest of the story unfolds this famine, this imminent famine that the world has never seen. And here's what people, not just beyond, beyond, like from Egypt all the way to Canaan. You remember Canaan, the promised land? They're leaving the promised land because there's no food in the promised land. This famine is no joke. So they make this huge journey down to Egypt. And they first, and this is not just his family, this is all families. This is all people. This is creation. And they're bringing all their money just to get the grain and, and whatever they've stored up. And then they go back and they run out and they're like, we're starving. What do they do? They bring their livestock. That's the equivalent of a carpenter saying, can you feed me? I'm going to bring you all my tools. And if I give you all my tools, can I have some more food? Now I can't even make a living. And then they come back a third time. And what does he do? All the families start turning over the deeds to their home. And not only does Pharaoh now collect all the deeds... He's sitting there like saying, okay, well, here's some grain, but here's some seed. And when you go and replant, you have to pay Pharaoh a portion of it too. I mean, you have the best VP in all the world. Joseph has become so valuable to Pharaoh that he's got a monopoly on the world. Because he has some extraordinary visionary administrative and organizational skills that he anticipated. Now, tragically, it's at the expense of everyone else going through a global crisis. And this guy is getting filthy rich and he has all like the keys to the kingdom. But Joseph is having unbelievable success. 
And here's the other thing that I'd like to say. I only have two points. One is we lose the plot when we choose the path of unforgiveness. But we lose the plot when we experience incredible prosperity, abundance, and success. Except Joseph doesn't lose the plot. He doesn't lose the fact of God's promise over him. He doesn't lose the fact that God's still the source. He doesn't lose the fact that God has put him in this place. And even though it wasn't A to B, it was like A to B to C to D to... It was the scenic route to get to God's fulfillment. He knew that God was with him in, in slavery and in prison and in false sexual assault allegation. God was with him. And now God's brought him to this place and he's like, this is not me. This, this is still God writing his redemptive story. And what's the end of the story? God uses Joseph to not just save his own family, saves all of creation because no one would have had the foresight to prepare for this except God speaking through this ability to interpret the dream. See, we confront those two things every single day. We confront the, the temptation, the lure of picking up offenses. And we, we can't lose the plot of who we are in Christ. Because as long as Christ has forgiven me, as, as long as he's called me into something better and given me a new kingdom metric and a new kingdom motivation, then I have to be willing to stay the course, to keep on the plot of being able to extend forgiveness and grace and mercy, even when I don't think they deserve it. And then secondly, we all come into the face of things going our way. Abundance, provision, care, affluence. And we can't lose the plot that God is the source of all of it. Because it, it is more common when things go bad, we tend to take credit for it and we get, we get applause for it. People recognize us as successful. But when things go bad, it's kind of that churning in our heart, I'm mad at God, and I blame God, and somehow why would God let this happen? And we can't play both sides of that fence. Either God is in it, in the beauty, and God is in the struggle. But the point is, God is in all of it. I, I just, I'm just enjoying going through this, and I think we, you know, that becomes so relevant. This, this 3,000-year-old story somehow resonates in my heart today because those are things we face daily. And um, I'll just share one story in closing. I'm not typically one for um, tutorials like uh, videos, instructional videos. I, I'm not a good, let's open the package and read the directions. I'm more of a learn-by-doing kind of guy. Um, I'm thankful for other people in my house who can comprehend directions in a written format and then, like, maybe do it quicker and easier. I don't learn that way. I'm not a linear thinker, so that, that doesn't suit me. Um, <clears throat> I've got to tell you one more story in Mexico. Uh, so we're out. Uh, we, we did this thing where we got to swim with whale sharks. Whale sharks are the largest creatures in the ocean. Um, and we were excited about it. Uh, There's all these different tours you could take. We went with this one outfit, and I was actually in the water talking with some people out on the beach before we went on our trip. And this guy's like, oh, yeah, we did the whale sharks. It was awesome. It was great. And his wife's like, yeah, mm, one and done, not into it. Uh, I think, whatever, maybe Jaws was affecting her or something like that. 
Uh, <clears throat> whale sharks are huge. Good news is um, they have the huge mouth, but like their throats are like the size of your fist, and they eat plankton, not me. So like that. Uh, so I'll swim with you with no cage. Uh, and so this guy in the beach was like, oh, yeah, well, all the boats, wherever you book your tour, they all show up there. So you drive an hour out, and then they all kind of circle around until someone radios, I found them. And they're not a pod. They're shark, not whale. They're big as whales, but they're sharks, which being a shark, you can't sit still. They're constant movement. And you find one of them, and then you might find a couple, but they're out somewhere. And then, so, and the guy in the beach was telling me, he's like, yeah, I was like, can you pet them? He's like, no, you can't touch them. It's a preserve. You can't touch them. If you touch, I, well, okay, so we're driving out there, an hour out there. And the whole time, they're telling you all these beautiful things about this animal. And there's a lot that's a mystery and what they don't know. And they dive to these depths. And it was fascinating. But then they get to the, here's what to do. And here's what not to do. And you can't do this. And here's what we're going to do. And this is what it's going to look like. And, and, and so you kind of like, okay, don't suck. Like, just don't mess up. Like, you've got a boat full of people. And you can't just all jump in and like, oh, where are they? You, there's this lineup. So the boats congregate and then they just start going. And these guys know how to do it. And, and you find the shark and he's swimming along. He's not going to stay still. So you get with one other person. So Anika and I are on the side of the boat with our guide. And then like the Mexican like guy, he's like, vamanos, vamanos. And you're like, okay, I'm going. And then they tell you, just look down into the water. Don't look up. Don't clean your goggles. Just be ready to go because you might only get a few seconds with him before he passes you by. And these large animals swim really fast for given their size. Um, and so you're driving out there. You're getting all this information. And so the adrenaline's building. We weren't the first group. Got in and, you know, we found him. And so then now it was Anika and I's turn. And we're sitting on it. And, and he goes, okay, vamanos, go. And so we drop in. And as we drop in, I come in. I look right out. And it was seriously that creature, like a 35-foot to 40-foot-long creature, is like from me to how. And I'm like, oh, well, there he is. Except he's not coming, like, parallel to the boat he's coming at me and i'm like oh wow i I, oh i can't pet him and so i'm like i'm like you know i've got my fiddlers on and i'm like okay well certainly i'm a formidable presence he's gonna veer like we're i'm gonna win this chicken shark like competition and he's just gonna kind of go around me because that's what fish do don't they they don't no he's bigger than me it's like an 18 wheeler and a moped if you're the moped get out of the way Like, don't try and, like, I have the right of way or something like that. And so I'm like, okay. And I'm, like, trying to go. And, like, fins and this don't really work well, like, in a speedy way. It's more like treading water. And so all of a sudden, Manu, our guide, kind of reaches in and he yanks me over the side as the thing just comes plowing past me. And I... I wasn't worried that I was somehow going to have a Jonah chapter in my life memoir. That wasn't the thing. But I didn't want to be the gringo who was now named the village idiot for petting the whale shark. (laughs) So much pressure. It was another escape room experience. Mildly more fun. But I didn't want to ruin the whole trip. I think so much of life becomes this adrenaline rush. And we get so distracted. Our hearts get so scattered. And it's so easy to lose the plot of God's salvation. And that he's actually present and working out something in us. 
And when we give our hearts to Christ, we get to say yes to a new value system, a new sort of metrics for success, a new sort of radar for God's presence in the good and the hard. And that's what we're invited into. And that's what Joseph shows us so beautifully. He's a picture of profound victimization and tragedy and unprecedented success and skill. And God's in all of it. Will you bow your heads with me? I just want to close in time of reflection. I want to ask you a couple of questions as we pray. I just want to open our hearts. You know, it's been fun to just tell some stories and reflect on this journey. Um, but if we believe that God is always present, then the secret is, is not just knowing where to look. I mean, we can look into God's word. We can look into the face of godly counsel and people who've walked with others further. But the secret is, it's what we've given our hearts to. And a dedicated heart to God can learn to operate with a whole new set of reactions than what we might humanly otherwise choose. See, the more we know how to discern God's presence, the more we can be transformed. And that's, that's the end game. I want to be someone else. We'll respond to circumstances maybe in a way that looks actually a little bit more like Christ. And let's just be honest. It's not, it's not if, but when life throws us a curveball or gets sideways. But this is how we find God in unexpected places. And Joseph was just like you and me, normal. He had incredible organizational and visionary gifts. But you have your own incredible gifts. But none of which make you immune from confronting who you are and what you believe. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. What are you doing today that benefits someone beyond yourself and your immediate family? I think as people of God, we are sent into the world and we have to leverage all that we are and all that we have for the King, for the glory of God. And so it's really important for us as we care for our own and provide for ourselves and do the things that we have said yes to and committed to and aspire to, to be thinking about how am I giving my life for the sake of others? I think that's part of all of our Christian calling is to live out a faith for the benefit of others, that it might reflect on God. Oh, that's what God's generosity must look like. Oh, that's what God's forgiveness looks like. Oh, that's what God's compassion looks like. That's what relentless hospitality looks like. Oh, because we said yes, and I do, to Christ in us. And then I would just simply ask you, what kinds of seed are you sowing? What are you giving yourself to that has the potential for eternal impact? Because we all have the mundane. We all have temporal obligations and responsibilities, but are you sowing eternal seed? Do you pray for people's salvation? 
Do you pray for a saving knowledge? Do you have people of peace that you're standing in the gap for? I want us to be thoughtful about echoing, uh, having our lives echo into eternity, here and now. Because eternity has already begun. So Father, would you speak to our hearts as we just sing to you, as we just meditate on your word, as we consider the life of Joseph and uh, we, we think about how we want our lives to continue to be transformed. And while we're far from perfect, I believe that you're inching us along further into your image. I pray that we would hear a calling. You just, your spirit speaks to us in tender, but in a directive way. I thank you for my friends gathered. I thank you for Mission Hills. I thank you that we get to do things like Good Neighbor Fund and labs and partner with people who just might not ever come to church, but we just get to sow seeds of, of kingdom love. May Austin be better because we exist. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our hearts, in our city, as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.